As we gather on this Sunday morning, May 17th, 2020, we are living in a time when our world has been shaken to its foundation. Our concepts of the basic functions of life have completely collapsed. Things like community, health, work. These look almost unrecognizable from just four months ago. So much of what we just assumed as the basic fabric of our days has disappeared. Think of the massive world of sports. Everything from elementary school, rec league, t-ball, to international professional soccer. Gone. I drive by 70,000-seat Husky Stadium, the 10,000-seat Heckhead Basketball Stadium, the baseball diamond, the track, soccer fields, tennis courts, empty, nothing happening. Think of, as well, the massive gathering places that we used to find each other in, coffee shops, bars, community centers, office towers. All those are closed. No one is in them. We just kept balancing card after card next to each other and on top of each other and building this massive structure. And then, whoosh, the coronavirus blew through and the whole thing crashed. And now we're huddled in our little makeshift shelters thinking not only what happened, but now what? What next? Well, I think one of the worst things we could do in answering the question, what next, one of the worst decisions we could make would be to try to recreate what we had. Part of the reason that we have been so devastated in the U.S. is because so many of our systems, our practices, our ideologies were so corrupt and inequitable that they collapsed under the increased burden of the pandemic. I visualize it this way. I believe that the election and the actions of Donald Trump as president revealed the rot at the heart of our nation and the pandemic has broken us at those places of rot. I have no idea how much longer the destruction will continue, nor how much deeper and wider the suffering will spread. But I do know, at some point, we will start rebuilding. And we will have to answer the question, now what? We in the church especially would be wise to listen for God's direction 
through the words of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Though the people of Israel were not facing the exact same circumstances as us, they were about to begin the process of reshaping their entire way of being a nation. What had been was not going to work going forward. They too had to answer the question, now what? The book of Deuteronomy is essentially one incredibly long sermon by Moses addressing specific actions for what next. God had rescued the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt. Through the leadership of Moses, particularly, God had led the people through decades of nomadic life in the desert. And now they, they stand just outside the border of the land that God had promised through their ancestors. This is the land in which they will settle and become an established nation. A nation that God wants to be a model for all nations of the earth. A nation that reveals the way of God to the world. And they won't have Moses to lead them anymore. Moses was a very old man already by this point, and God had already informed Moses that he would not be crossing the River Jordan into the Promised Land. And so Moses gathers the whole people of God and tells them, if you want things to go well for you, this is what to do. And then he spends about 30 chapters telling them, often very specifically, how to live and how to set themselves up as a society. So over the coming weeks, we are going to spend some time with all of this wisdom that Moses has to share. But this morning, Moses gives us a wonderful distillation of the heart of the matter. Basically, Moses proclaims, if God's people, including us, want to build a nation that will be good for all people, if we want to be as a people who God desires us to be, here is our foundation. Verses 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, O God's people. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's it. That is the absolute essential ideology and practice for being a people. So much so that Moses says in verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. I like that the message translates this, uh, that they are to be in you. You are to make them a part of you. Get them inside of you. And then get them inside of your family. And you notice that when Jesus was asked, 
What is the most important commandment? Out of the hundreds and hundreds, over 1,500 different laws and commandments and decrees in the Hebrew First Testament, out of all of those, which is the most important commandment? Jesus answered with this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And he sort of links them together. As we will see, so much of loving others comes from first loving God. As Jeffrey uh, Tingay, a Jewish scholar from the University of Pennsylvania notes, Deuteronomy is actually the first book in the Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew First Testament, to speak about loving God, loving God. Loving God is the key for both the Israelites and us to building a better world. But this love is far from a vague, undefined feeling. Notice verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus includes mind, your mind also. This is a commitment of our total being, everything about who we are and what we do. In fact, in verse 4, when Moses proclaims, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, it literally is just four words, the Lord our God, one. The Lord, one. Many scholars think that Moses is encouraging us to exclusive loyalty to God. Not necessarily, necessarily proclaiming that only one God exists, in other words, Moses is saying, you can only commit to one God, so give all that you are to this one. And within this concept of giving ourselves in love for God, all of us, all in, is the understanding that we will act in love. As I mentioned earlier, Moses will go on to spell out all sorts of different actions that reveal love of God in the coming chapters. But right off the top of his head, he notes verses 7 through 9. Impress these commandments, particularly this one, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And we know that in, in the Hasidic tradition, that is a literal tradition of binding them to your hands and to your forehead. This Short section, verses 4 and 5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It became the Shema. It's, it's a prayer that's prayed twice a day in the Jewish tradition. 
Shema is, is the word here in Hebrew. So this, was, this is the absolute foundation, and we are to immerse ourselves in a world that focuses on loving God and communicating that with the world. And this call from God is not God's selfishness, but it is a call that comes from God's love for us. In verses 1 and 3, we hear these are the commandments. It really, literally, is, this is the commandment. Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may revere the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all of these decrees that I give you, so that, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God promised you. And literally, it's the land oozing with milk and honey. They don't even have to do anything for it to be productive and a gift to them, such as God's love for us. The land that God is leading them into is giving them, will provide them everything they need. In fact, we heard that later. Large, flourishing cities, houses filled with all kinds of good things, wells for water, vineyards, and olive groves that are already bearing fruit. They've been there so long waiting. All this, God will give them out of God's love for them. But if they don't keep fully committed to God, they will become proud, and arrogant. And that's what we hear from Moses as well. When the Lord your God brings you into this land, a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, because that's what God wants for us, but when you do that, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and has given you all those things. Don't forget God, or you will become proud and arrogant. We are a nation that has become proud and arrogant. We have forgotten that we owe everything to God, God who loves us abundantly. We have given ourselves over to other things. We've spent time and energy and focus and resources pursuing other things, money and wealth pleasure and diversion, health, long life, safety, and so much of all of these shiny objects has vanished in just a few months. 
as we have opportunities to rebuild as a, as a society, God calls us to remember all that God has given to us in love. God reminds us that if we want to enjoy long life, to increase greatly and enter a land oozing with milk and honey, that won't happen by going back to what we were doing before and the way we were doing it. Instead, as Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, here's what I want you to do, says God. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for God. Don't become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. That's the way Paul wrote it. Moses put it this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all that you are. God wants us all in. Amen.